Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. We have a guest speaker this morning. Thankfully, it's not me. Uh, Doug Johnson's here, and Doug is with Youth for Christ in the Tacoma Pierce County area. So come on up, Doug. Uh, many of you know Doug. He grew up in this area and graduated from Stanwood High School. I believe he said in 1997. Correct. So 20 years ago. Uh, and, and so Cedar Home has had a long uh, relationship with Doug. And uh, if you, he's done some camp work. He's worked with Sozo down there. Uh, if you are interested in helping support Doug in his ministry, get a hold of Doug or I after the service, and uh, we can get you pointed in the right direction. So welcome, Doug. Yeah, thank you. Here, I'll just use this. I'm uh, not used to these microphones. I feel like Britney Spears right now. One of those pop stars. Oops, I did it again. No. Um, so, full disclosure, the reason I am not here with teens like I normally am is because we just got done with camp Friday night, and we were planning on staying until uh, the 4th of July with my parents here in Stanwood, and I just didn't have it in me to be around teens for four more days. <laughs> I just <laughs> I couldn't do it. I needed a break. Our leaders that were in cabins with kids really, really needed a break. Um, my family was going to be with me, and then uh, my son got hit in the mouth with a baseball really hard last night. So he was in the ER till 1230 last night, and his teeth are a hot mess right now. So, but my daughter, I'll introduce my daughter. This is my date. Lucy, you want to stand up? This is my lovely daughter, Lucy. So she's, thanks, Luce. Um, so this is my daughter. So she's, she's my date. I'm flying with her today. Thanks, Luz. So, um, so we have a long history with Cedar Home in, um, in Youth for Christ. So um, our ministry, a lot of new faces. Raise your hand if, if you've been here before when, when our teens, our group has come and shared. So about half? Oh, most of you, okay. Raise your hand if, you, if, if you've never been here when our teens have come up and shared. Okay, so some new people. Okay, great. So let me tell a little bit about our background. So... Um, Ten years ago, started with a ministry called Sozo, and basically it was this, um, the history is our kids were, it was a jail ministry, and so so many kids in Tacoma, it was almost like a revival was happening, where there were so many kids coming to know Christ in jail, and it was really an amazing thing. And, and there were these radical, radical transformations of kids happening in jail, but then they would get out, and there was nothing for them. Either they didn't quite fit in a traditional church or a youth group, and, or, or, or just churches, some just churches just didn't want them. And so, um, so there was not really anything for our kids, and they were kind of falling away and kind of getting sucked back into their own life. So we started this uh, youth church, is kind of how it started, for kids coming out of jail, and it was called Sozo. And Sozo comes from Luke 19.10, where um, it's the Son of Man, he's talking to Zacchaeus, Jesus is, and he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the word save in Greek is sozo. And a lot of times when we think of salvation, we think of like fire insurance from hell, right? Like, you know, just get them saved so then they can, once they die, they can go to heaven, everything's good. But really, that's not at all what Jesus was talking about when he talked about salvation. That was a piece. That's an important piece because it's eternity. But it's also here and now. He doesn't want us just to go to heaven, but he also wants to do a lot of work in our lives and transform us here on earth. 
And so that word save means, um, also means to heal. It means to make whole. It means to deliver. It means to redeem. It means to preserve, to protect. So when, when Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, it means he wants to make them whole again. He wants to redeem them. He wants to transform them. He wants to make them whole. So, um, so that's, that's kind of where it started. And then it kind of quickly evolved into a hilltop ministry because so many of the kids in jail were from the hilltop. And then as we were doing it in the hilltop, all the kids in the neighborhood started coming. So that was 10 years ago. We started going to Warm Beach Camp was where we first started. And, um, and, and that's where this just relationship with Cedar Home started. It started with, I think, a phone call from Nancy Nelson and then Julie Pearson kind of connected us with your, what, what's that mission board that you guys do? Yeah, just your missions. And, and we came and shared. And it just started this really neat relationship that's been going on for nine years now. And whether you, I don't know if you know this or not, but Cedar Home has sent over, easily over 120 of our kids to camp over the last nine years. And camp for us is a huge part of our ministry. What I try to explain to people, camp is not the end all. It's not the beginning, it's not the end. We don't take kids to camp unless we're already in relationship with our kids. But when you're working with inner city kids, going to a camp is a terrifying experience, which sounds funny because when you look at all the cool things we do at camp, you would think, uh, what, why is this scary? What's, what's the big deal? But when you think about what it's like, sometimes when people live in traumatic, chaotic lives that are filled with drama, that's all they know. And so that is comfortable. So to come out of a chaotic environment is very uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. So you take a kid that knows drama and chaos and things like that, now you take them into a country, you take them in a place where there's bugs, believe it or not, I've seen gang members that pack semi-automatic weapons screaming over a crane fly. <laughs> screaming. So, <laughs> not, not exaggerating. Um, this, kid, this kid was like 6'4", 300 pounds. I mean, big dude, his, his gang name was Bear. Because um, he looked like a grizzly bear. So, um, I mean, there's so many things. You get them away from their phones. You get them away from everything. And so it's really the only thing that can get us to take kids to camp is our relationships. So we take kids. It's our relationships that get us to camp. And it's when you can take a kid out of that environment for one week, out of the trauma, out of the drama, out of the, the places where they feel unsafe, and you can give them a place where they're safe, and, and all of a sudden, all the noise is quiet. They can hear God in a clear way. And they can receive God in a clear way. And they can take down these walls. Because you think about it, if you're in a trauma-filled life, you have to keep your walls up. It's a, it's, it's a matter of um, survival. But when you can take them out of that environment for a week, they can take those walls down and they can receive Jesus in a way that they never could before. And then we get to go back home with them. And we get to continue to walk with them. And that's where discipleship plays out. And, um, and sometimes they give their lives to Christ at camp and we get to disciple them. And sometimes they don't give their lives to Christ at camp and we still get to walk with them. And maybe it's later. And maybe it's a lot later and it's not with us. But that's the beauty of camp is it gives us this window 
and then we get to walk with them. And when we come back from camp, let's say we're at this spot in relationship. We come back from camp because of these shared experiences, and we're like up here now in this deeper, deeper relationship. So Cedar Home has played a huge, huge part in our history and has sent so many of our kids to camp. And so as I share some stories, whoops, excuse me. As I share stories about kids, um, that's a part of your, this is part of your fruit. This is a part of, this is, these are your dividends as you've invested. These are your dividends that you get to share with me. So um, before I do anything, I want to give a huge uh, shout out to Tamara. You guys give, give, give a huge round of applause to Tamara back there. Man, I did, I did some awful. So 1.30 last night, I just switched my order, like completely switched it. And, and um, I didn't tell her that I emailed her at 1.30. And so I came in 30 minutes before the service with 15 new slides. And uh, if you've ever done PowerPoints or done slides before, that is a really stressful thing. So Tamara, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, you've been amazing. So thank you, Tamara. Okay, um, so a couple of house rules. So I'm, I'm going to be sharing um, w- in the context of camp. I have a video. I'm not sure if I'm going to share it or not. It's a really cool video from our, our last week. Um, but so as we've sent kids to camp over the years, I've seen it all. I've seen kids that don't give their lives to Christ are not interested at all, end up giving their lives to Christ later. I've seen some kids completely reject Christ and never do come around. I've seen kids give their lives to Christ at camp or make a decision, want to follow Jesus at camp, and then completely fall away when they get home. I've seen kids completely fall away when they get home and then completely come back to Jesus when they come home later on. And I've seen kids completely give their lives to Christ and then just thrive and just grow in relationship and end up becoming leaders who are now continuing the cycle. So I've seen it all. And as I've seen this over the last 10 years, um, I'm going to move this. I keep knocking the, uh, keep knocking the uh, antenna. There we go. There, that'll be better. Um, so as I've seen this over the last 10 years, the parable of the sower has completely come alive to me in a new way. And so I want to share about that in the context of camp. So this is not a, this is not a fundraising message. This is a message, um, this is a message, I guess I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Spoil, spoiler alert. Um, it's really a call to action to pray. Um, because at, at the end of the day, the parable of the sower is really about the soil of the heart and and we're just sowers, but God is really the harvester. And without the Holy Spirit, there's nothing we can do. Um, I'm talented enough to entertain kids. I'm not talented enough to change kids' hearts. And none of us are. And, and so, you know, at the end, I guess at the end of the message is, is I hope that we can all fire ourselves <laughs> from, t- from trying to take on the Holy Spirit's job and instead just be his, be his tools to till the soil and, and to pray, but ultimately fire ourselves and, and, and trust God to do the rest. So um, 
couple house rules. Um, so I, I, I'm used to, so I actually am not in a role anymore of, I'm not, no longer running Sozo. Did you guys meet Josh Chambers last year, the six foot eight black guy? Can't miss him. So he runs Sozo now. He's kind of like a family to us. He lived with us for two years. Our kids, he sometimes takes our kids to school. They introduce him to their teachers as their uncle. Teachers are really confused. Um, makes sense to my kids. Um, he's doing a phenomenal job running that ministry. And so I'm now the city life director. So I run, I'm kind of over all of the kind of the more inner city ministries in Tacoma. So the Hilltop, Tillicum, which is the area of Lakewood right by the army base. And then Lincoln High School, which is uh, kind of the most inner city uh, school in Tacoma. So that's kind of my role. So I'm, I'm actually not in the trenches with kids anymore. And uh, I haven't, I don't really preach very often anymore at all, actually. I do a lot of training with volunteers. But I'm, excuse me, I'm, I'm used, to, I've gotten used to very, the, the black culture, 90% of our kids are black. And I've gotten used to very interactive kids. A lot of that interactive um, kids is kids yelling, you look like Caillou, right in the middle of my talk. Um, kids, kids Instagramming my shoes. I would wear these brown sketchers. They would Instagram my shoes and hashtag what are those <laughs> while I'm messaging. Um, they don't understand. They'll tell you. There's a lot of inappropriate things that get yelled during a message that I can't repeat here. Um, but I've actually, at first it was brutal, but I've come to actually really enjoy it and love it. Um, because you, at least you know, if, if, if they're connecting, you know. And if, if you're not connecting, you know. And, and you can kind of even channel that energy. So I've actually grown to really love it and appreciate it. So I kind of, house rules are, if I ask a question, it's not rhetorical. A lot of times, Pastors ask questions, but they don't really want you to answer. It's just a rhetorical question. So if I ask a question, I actually want you to yell out an answer. I hope you feel comfortable doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Say that. Um, you can, uh, or, or you can raise your hand if I ask a question, but I, I actually appreciate that. So it's not rhetorical if I ask a question. Yell it out. Um, so let's see, where, where am I going? So let's start with Matthew 13, 1 through 8. So this has totally come alive. I'm just going to read it. And um, if the slides are up there, great. Read along. If you have a Bible, read along. If you don't have a Bible, listen. If you don't want to listen, I can't make you. So verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the, so when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on a good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And what I love about the disciples is they're kind of like, like my kids in the hilltop. They, if they don't get it, they, they say it. They don't, they don't hold back. They're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? 
Why do you keep talking in riddles? Would you just tell us what you're talking about? So he goes, all right, I'll explain it. So he goes, uh, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And if there's a picture of, I have a picture of um, cement with a bunch of seeds on it, if, if you have that. There we go. It's funny, when I Googled, I, I went to Google Images last night, and I Googled um, seed on path. And you know what came up? There were about 100 pictures of birds eating seed. It's kind of funny. So this, is not a new, this, this was not a, a phenomenon then. This is still today. So I, I have a sidewalk right next to my grass, and I have this grass that just for whatever reason cannot grow. And in the summer, you can have it green for about one week, and then it turns yellow, and then patches die, and then you try all year to get it back, and it finally gets green for a week, and then you repeat the cycle in June, right? Does anyone else have that problem? Just me? So anyways, so, so when I go and reseed it, some of it always falls on the sidewalk, kind of like this. And what always happens when, you, when it falls on the sidewalk? What happens? I can't hear you. It won't grow, right? Why won't it grow? Because there's no soil, right? It can't grow. It can't grow on the cement. And when there's nothing for it to get into and, and, and to sink into and start to put some roots, it's very vulnerable, isn't it? It's vulnerable to the birds. And I've seen this time and time again as I've seen kids at camp. Um, the enemy, the enemy is very real. And there's like this spiritual battle that is very real. You would not believe some of the things, just all hell breaks loose sometimes in our kids' life when we get back from camp. Or when they're starting to get close. And when there's, when there's no soil for the seed to go into, it's just left there unprotected. And the bird comes and it steals it. And the bird is the enemy, right? So, um, this is kind of, you know, it's what's important to know is, again, the problem is not the seed, is it? The problem is the soil. And if there's not good soil, it doesn't matter how good the seed is, right? And this is one of those mysteries that God knows what he's doing. God's in control. But only God can really make the soil ready. So this is my life. I grew up in the church. I grew up at Our Savior's Lutheran Church. Um, and I guarantee you I had heard the gospel before. I'm sure I had heard it. Um, I know I, I'm sure somebody had told me about a relationship with Christ. But it wasn't until I went to a camp my sophomore year, right before my sophomore year of high school, um, only to meet girls. I had no other reason to go. And um, it was the first time in my life that I, I had heard about a relationship with Christ. And it sunk in for the first time. Now, had I ever heard with my ears before? Probably. Had anyone ever explained the gospel to me before? Probably. But it was in one ear, out the other. Anyone ever had those experiences personally where it's been told, but it just didn't stick? In, in one ear, out the other? Anyone ever shared the gospel with someone or shared your testimony, shared about Jesus, and it, it felt like it just 
was in, in one ear, out the other. Anyone ever had that experience? Yes, me too. Anyone ever felt like you have this message and you're preparing it, maybe for youth, maybe it's at a church, maybe it's at a camp, whatever, and you feel like on paper this message is so great and it's really powerful? It's even powerful in your process as you're preparing. And then you get out and you, you, de you deliver it and you feel like all you have is rubber bullets. Anyone ever had that? I have many times. That's what happens. That's what happens when the seed lands on cement, when it lands on the path. The problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil. And if the soil is not good, there's really nowhere for that seed to go. I remember my, so I, it wasn't until right before my senior year of high school that everything all came together, that the soil of my heart was finally ready to receive Jesus and to fully commit my life to him. And I was so excited, and I was so excited that I wanted one of my best friends. I was like, he needs to know about Jesus too. And I had him over in my house, I remember one late night, I felt this like burden. And I think the burden, it really is from God, you know. God, God wants us to have that burden. But I was like, if I don't do something right now, he could go to hell tonight. You know, you know I felt this like burden. It was like all on me, right? And so kind of like a, a manipulative car salesman, I coerced him into repeating the sinner's prayer thinking that if he says these magic words, you know, like abracadabra, he'll, he's saved, he's in heaven. And so I did, I manipulated him and coerced him into repeating after me this, the sinner's prayer. You know what I mean by the sinner's prayer? And, um, and the next morning, nothing had changed. And he had no interest in Jesus. If he had a little bit of interest in Jesus, at that point he had no interest in Jesus. And that door for me to talk, that, that window for me to share about Jesus was really closed for a, for a long time. What was the problem? Was the problem the message? Was the problem the gospel? Because that's what I thought. Why isn't this working? <laughs> you know, he said the words. God, what happened? Why aren't you working? The problem was his soil. The soil of his heart was not ready. And I wasn't... I wasn't being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I tried to make something happen when God wasn't ready. And his, the soil of his heart wasn't ready. And quickly the seed came and was stolen from him because it didn't land on fertile soil. Um, you, you, Tamara, can you go to the next slide? Um, oh, is there a picture of a kid on a horseback? It's okay if we can't find it either. There we go. This is a kid named Nico Wiley. This is at Warren Beach Camp. This was our third summer of camp. So I loved Nico so much. This was a kid that was really hard. And he was in, actively in gangs as an eighth grader. And he was leading all these kids astray at Jason Lee Middle School in the hilltop. And he was in my cabin. We had to split him up between some other guys because they were just causing too many problems. So he was in my cabin. I didn't really know him before camp. And at camp, we just connected at such a deep level. And he would share just some of the just deep pain that he felt uh, from being abandoned by his mom. He was homeless and just kind of bounced couch surfing for years. 
His dad um, had been arrested and was being deported back to Mexico. And it was just so painful for him as an eighth grader. And I remember sharing, he heard the gospel and he was hearing the message all week. And it was, it was impacting him. But, it, but really, he wasn't ready to receive it. And we, I remember going for a, a long walk one night, the second to last night of camp, and just, just kind of point blank, just like, so what's holding you back, dude? Like, you know God is real. You know only God can change your life. I think you even want him. But how come you're not ready to follow him? How come you don't, what's, what's holding you back? And it was just, there was just so much pain about his dad being deported that he's just like, I just, I'm not ready and I can't follow a God that lets my dad be deported. And the, the soil of his heart just wasn't ready. And I remember he ended up going to prison in high school and we, we actually talked several times while I was in prison. And then he got out and we ha- got together and we had a great time. And, but his heart just wasn't ready. And there was nothing I could do to make his heart ready. I could try to do the manipulative car salesman thing again like I did with my friend. Get him to repeat the sinner's prayer. But that, that, that's not the point. His heart wasn't ready. And his heart still isn't ready. And actually he ended up, he's now in prison for 20 years because he shot, he shot up an apartment building. Like fired like 24 shots or something into an apartment building and tried to kill someone and he actually shot one of our Sozo kids, too, a different time. Um, his heart just wasn't ready, and there was nothing we could do. And that's the reality. If a heart's not ready, only God, only God can change the heart, and only God can make him ready. And the good news is, the hope is that God's not done. And the good news is, if, if all the pressure, if it was on me, then I would feel like a failure. We took him to camp, we walked with them, I kept in touch with them, but it didn't work, we failed. But when the pressure's on God to be the one that tills the soil of his heart, when the pressure's on God to convict him, when the pressure's on God to show him that he is real, then I can have peace and I can sleep at night knowing that God, I'm off the clock, but God's still on the clock. God doesn't take breaks. I need breaks. But God doesn't. And even as he's in prison for 20 years, God is still working and at work. And God still loves Nico more than I ever did. God loves Nico more than I ever could. Uh, verse 20. So verse 20, the next one. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Anyone ever known that person that really wanted God or wanted, wanted to, to um, respond, that's responded to the gospel, but then quickly kind of fell away? Anyone ever been that person? <laughs> Me? I've been that person. 
right before my sophomore year, like, like I was talking about, when I, I first understood there was a relationship with God, and then the, the week later, I went and did the dirtiest thing I think I've ever done. Completely fell away. Because I didn't have my soil. It still wasn't quite ready. It still wasn't good soil. It was rocky soil, and there was no roots. This is kind of a hard one to understand, I feel like. This is kind of what the most complicated of these three, but I, I think of it like this. This is the person that wants the benefits of God, but doesn't want God. They don't want to follow God. Does that make sense? They want the cookie, but they don't want the baker. You know what I mean? And I think at some point, we've all been that person, right? We want God to rescue us. We want God to give us his blessings. We want him to bail us out when we've kind of screwed up. But we... <laughs> But when he calls us to follow him, well, I'm not quite ready for that, right? Anyone ever been that person besides me? And I think we see that a lot. And again, the problem is not the message. The problem is not the truth. The problem is not the gospel. The problem is the soil. So there's too many rocks. There's still too many barriers that God needs to remove. He needs to excavate before that message can really come into fruition. And then the next one. Where am I? Oh, here we go. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So I tried to find this picture. I found these pictures of these blackberry bushes. Have you guys ever had those blackberry bushes that have gotten into like your raspberries? Anyone ever had that? Yes, or, or into anything. We had these, they got into our blueberries and they start with this, you know, little thing and they, I don't know how they do it, but they just take over everything, right? Or I have these English ivies. Do you guys know what English ivy is? I have this English ivy and they get in our landscaping. And they're so, they're kind of even pretty at first. And then they wrap around. I had these flowers, these beautiful flowers with, I, that, and they wrap themselves like a boa constrictor all around your flowers. And then your flowers can't grow anymore. That's kind of what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And he said there's three things. In Luke, in Luke 8, he talks about it too. He says, the deceitfulness of, of wealth. Actually, let me, let me read exactly what it is. Oh, so between Luke 8 and Mark, Matthew 13, it's life's worries, life's riches, and life's pleasures. Those are the three things that, that choke out. Those are the thorns that choke out. So you think about it. Excuse me. The deceitfulness of wealth is what he says in Luke 8. Basically what he's saying is the world is a sham. But people get deceived into thinking what the world has to offer is better. And it's like that English ivy that wraps itself around the flowers so that it can't bloom. It's like the sticker bushes, the blackberry bushes that get in your raspberries and just take over the whole thing. Right? This is, this is one that I've seen a lot. Can you show the slide of those uh, five kids? The next slide. 
There we go. Those are the Sozo soldiers. So um, some of these kids have actually been, some of these kids have been at uh, here in the past. In fact, the kid on the, uh, the, the far one on the right that's going, like has his finger up, his name's Marcus. He actually has several kids that are my kid's age, and I see him every Saturday at YMCA uh, soccer games. It's really fun. We get to talk. Oh, some of the, there's a girl in this, in this, I won't point out which one, but she had such a radical conversion when she was in jail, when she was 17. She had been arrested about 50 times, not exaggerating. She had beaten up police officers or attacked police officers. She, um, she was a third generation gang member. Her grandma was a gang member. Her mom was a gang member. All her cousins were gang members. Her brothers were gang members. Her dad was a gang member and a pimp. Present tense, still is. Um, that was her life. That's all she knew. And she had this radical conversion when she was in prison. She had founded this gang in Tacoma called TF, the family. And um, when she gave her life to Christ, she, uh, she called a meeting. And she called all of the female gang members together. And she shared her testimony. And she said, I now announce that this gang is officially disbanded. And then she led three girls to Christ <laughs> in her gang. This dynamic, I've, we've never had a leader like her. And we're still in touch with her. And she actually is getting her master's degree in counseling right now. I mean, she's turned it around. Um, you know, I think the prison system, they were just waiting for her to turn 18 so they could lock her up for life. Because there was no hope in this girl that she was, I mean, it was just clear. She was going to be a menace to society. The best thing we can do is just keep her off the streets. And she got completely transformed by Jesus. And her love for Jesus is so real, was and still is. And when you talk to her, her love for Jesus is so real. And she loves God so much. And she, she will say, she'll tell anybody, Jesus transformed my life. And without Jesus, I would be dead. But the reality is, too, there's still thorns in her life. There's still things of the world that have, up to this point, have entangled her. There's still areas of the world where the fast, you know, desire for money to get out of poverty and have money, fast money, um, to have her boyfriend, you know, to have the security of having a man, um, cutting off some of the family ties that bring her down. It's the deceitfulness of the world that still has wrapped itself around her. And although she loves God so much and she loves Jesus so much, I want to point out that it says here, that, let me, let me read it again. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Jesus isn't talking about salvation here. He's not saying she's not going to be in heaven. He's not saying her relationship with, with me isn't real. He's saying she's not going to be fruitful. And Luke 8 says they won't become mature. And so, I absolutely believe this girl will be in heaven. And I absolutely believe even her relationship with God is very real. 
But there's so much more that God has for her. Because we go back to the real meaning, the Greek meaning of sozo. He doesn't just want us to get into heaven. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to be... Um, he wants us to live with purpose. We were created to live with purpose. We were created to bear fruit. And when we're not fully submitted to him in every area of our lives, the fruit that we can bear is limited. And so we've seen this, we see this a lot. And, and I'm not just talking about camping with my teens, I'm talking about everywhere. Does anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody know someone who really loves God and wants God, but is not ready to fully cast off some of the things of this world, and their, their, their growth is stunted? Anyone in this room, you don't need to say this out loud, but if, is anyone in this room that person? Is there anyone in this room that that's you, that you want God and you want money? You want God and you want toys. You know what toys I'm meaning. Kids want Legos, but when we become adults, there's a lot of toys we want, right? And it's so easy to put God on the back burner so we can have more toys. I want God, but I also want this relationship that I know God doesn't want me to have. I want God, but I also want to watch things that I know God doesn't want me to watch. I know I want God, but I also want the comfort of porn. Right? It's the thorns. The relationship is real. Your desire for God is real. But it's a thorn that comes and will choke you. And it'll keep you from being mature. And it'll keep you from bearing the fruit that God wants you to have. And I've seen this be very real. This is so real. And this isn't just limited to our inner city kids. This is the church. But then there's the fourth thing that God talked about. Verse 23. I told you this wasn't a fundraising message. <laughs> Verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, and he understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So I got to show this picture. Um, can you show the picture of that group of kids? The circle. There we go. <laughs> it's funny, you can't see Vaughn's face. So Vaughn's the one, right? The really dark face, you can't really see it, but with um, right by the fireplace. So Vaughn Nelson came here like three years ago. Do you guys remember Vaughn? when we were in the other building. So Vaughn became really good friends with Javi, Javi Meyer. So they were like, they were like BFFs at Trinity Lutheran. They, uh, they worked together at Seattle YFC. And like every time I called Vaughn, he was in Javi's room or Javi was in his room. So they're really good friends. Um, I, I cannot talk about Vaughn without crying. <laughs> Even if I practice. I think, okay, now I can do it. Get him and talk to, to Vaughn without crying. Unless we're doing a rap battle. Um, 
Vaughn is a kid. He was one of our middle schoolers. And um, he just had such a hard life. He's been completely rejected by his parents. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom chose abusive boyfriend over him. So he just couch surfed for five years. Kicked out of his house. He had nowhere to live. No one to take care of him. And yet Vaughn took the, the cards that were dealt him and he was able to just cling to the things, the truths that he knew. And he was able to be grateful for every situation and still be able to praise God in every situation. And I remember he, um, he, was, he had to move to Ballard when he was in ninth grade. And it was so uncomfortable for him to be the only black kid in an upper middle class white school. And he got just some really awful racist things were said to him. And, and then he got kicked out of his house and he had nowhere to go. But if he transferred, the, the Tacoma schools wouldn't take his classes. They wouldn't transfer him. So the only way he could graduate was to stay at Ballard even though he was couch surfing in Tacoma. So he took a city bus every day at 4.30 in the morning to Ballard High School from Tacoma for about two and a half years, every day. And his senior year, of, he wrote all of his college, he wanted to go to college, and he did all of his college applications on his cell phone, on the bus, on the city bus at five in the morning. And not one time have I heard him complain, but he was always able to take the truth that he knew, and he was always able to give thanks to God in every situation and he's a, better ma- he's a better man than me. <laughs> it's awkward crying with this thing right in my mouth. <laughs> um, so Vaughn, he ended up becoming um, an intern with Seattle YFC, him and Hobby. He's still with Seattle YFC. And um, last, that was last week. I was, I, I was a head leader, so I was kind of like the disciplinarian of the camp, but I figured out, I realized, okay, if I can just get to know kids and like be fun with them during the day, my job's a lot easier at night. It's a lot easier to disarm them, especially when you're 5'5". Five, five. You have middle schoolers that are like 6'2". <laughs> anyway, so I was doing walks, I was going, doing a walk through the camp, just making sure, you know, no one had snuck out or anything. Everyone was where they were supposed to be. And this was the last night. And I interrupted their, I walked in and this was, he was leading this cabin time of, cause these are kids in Everett, Casino Road. And um, Javi worked there with him. And this, that was a tough crew. Um, in the past at camp, everyone in Tacoma was like, always stood out as the bad kids. And anytime there was a problem, like we would get a call, hey, I think Tacoma did this. And like, even if they didn't know it was Tacoma, they just assumed it's Tacoma. And I would say our camps have kind of evolved where I think we're, everyone's bringing the right kids to camp because Tacoma, it's like a 10-way tie now for the worst cabins. <laughs> so we're bringing the right kids. But anyways, the Casino Road kids, man, this was a tough crew. Very high Latino, mostly Latino, actually. Latino, and it was kind of a mix of Latino and black. And I come in, and I walk right in. I interrupt him accidentally, and Vaughn's just sharing about his testimony with these kids and how the investments that have been putting into him and just sharing about how he wants to be that one that invests in them and will walk with them and then will disciple them. 
and he was just sharing so boldly. If you know Vaughn, like that's, he's not really known as like a bold guy. He's known, you know, he was always kind of like the goofy kid in middle school and high school. And to see him with such authority, um, you know, and so I'd already interrupted him. So I thought, hey, can I take a picture since I already ruined your cabin time? Um, This to me, Sorry. This is what it means. This is the one who received the seed that fell on good soil. This is the man who hears the word and he understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. For every Nico who's in prison, there's a Vaughn. And it's the Vaughns that keep us going. <laughs> guy that discipled me in college, he always used the father and son analogy of discipleship. And then, and then the, the goal was that you disciple someone and then eventually they become a discipler. And he would always say, I don't care about my kids, I care about my grandkids. Which always seemed like a weird thing to say. Until I had kids and I saw the way my parents become all gaga over their grandkids. And they treat them better than they treated me. <laughs> sure love your grandkids more than you love me. <laughs> no. There's something about grandkids, right? Any grandparent? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. And, okay. Is that true? There's something about your grandkids that can stir your heart in a way that your own kids didn't. And I think God created that way. There's a love, there's a way that a grandkid can just kind of just have their way with their grandparents because their grandparents are just so consumed with love for their grandkids. So to me, that's... <coughs> Gotta hide this thing. It's my grandkids. It's about our grandkids. That's why we do what we do. I'm not talking about our teens anymore. I'm talking about all of us. God put us, God put us on this planet for our grandkids. He created us to bear fruit. He created us to disciple and bring people to know Jesus, that they would be the ones that the seed would fall on good soil and they would be the ones to bring up the next generation. So for every Nico that breaks our hearts, there's a Vaughn. And that's why God put us here. And so this message, I'm not going to show the camp video, but I can post it on YouTube. It's pretty awesome. I think the question, anytime there's a message, I feel like for me, the, the question always is, so what, right? Like, I don't want more knowledge. I want to apply it. And so I think the question for us is, so what? About what does this have to do with our lives? The first thing is, I want us to all fire ourselves, like I said earlier, fire ourselves from the responsibility to make it happen. 
Don't be like I was with my friend where I coerced my friend, manipulated him into the sinner's prayer. Where I got ahead of God is really what I, what I did. So let's just fire ourselves from the responsibility. Because there's two things that happen when we do that. First, when something does happen, we take the credit that belongs to God. We become prideful. And then when things don't go the way we want, then we get condemned and we feel failures. But if we realize all along, it's not my job, it's God's job. God is the one. He's the one who softens the heart. He's the one who convicts people of sin. He's the one who shows them their need for him. So if we can fire ourselves from being that, from taking on God's job, we can have peace. The second thing is pray. Even though God's the one who convicts and he's the one who reveals, God wants to use us to help till the soil. So there's ways. One is love. It says, Jesus said, they'll know that you are Christians or you'll know that you are my followers by your love for one another. They'll know that we're Christians by our love. We can disarm people. We can help take down those walls. We can help people become ready. We can be used to get people closer to being ready by loving people, by meeting them where they're at. By my, my neighbors who ends up, is now Amy's best friend. Um, they came to know Christ because they had neighbors that were Christians. They were a block away from us. And they always called them the weird Christians. They had no interest in them. But those are the only people, those Christians that were right next door, were the only ones that would ever talk to them and be nice to them or always like doing things for them, bringing them cookies, things like that. And they called them the weird Christians. Well, something happened. Nick was in Seattle. He was separated, and she went into labor early. And there was, she was all alone, and she didn't know who else to go to except to the weird Christians because they were the only ones who loved her. And it was the weird Christians that took her to the hospital and were with her through the delivery, holding her hand as she delivered a baby. And that shared experience created a bond. And within a couple weeks of having that baby, because of that shared experience, their walls were down and they were able to come to know Jesus for the first time. And fruit-bearing, they're fruit-bearing Christians. And it's one of my wife's very best friends who just loves my wife so well. So it was the love. The other thing we can do to till the soil, we can always present truth and pray. Prayer is such a powerful weapon. I think I've, I've come to, to have a peace of knowing like I can't, I've started just, I kind of got to wit's end where I'm like, okay, I can be in meetings all day long trying to fix problems. Or I could spend an hour, the first hour of the day just interceding. And, and just hope that God will move things. And I've had so much more fruit from spending that time praying and trusting God to do it than when I would just be in these stupid meetings. <laughs> right? Prayer is a powerful weapon. And the last thing, um, and the last thing is this. You know, I gave that analogy about, or I shared, you know, that, that scripture about the thorns. If that's someone in this room, like, it's not too late. It's not too late. You don't have, that's not your destiny. That's not how God desires it. 
you can repent. If there's that secret sin in your life, that porn, if there's um, ways that you know God's convicting you, that you're, you're saying no to God, you're saying, I want God, but I also want this, repent. Turn to him and say, God, I'm sorry. And repenting, you know, a lot of times we think repenting is the words, but repenting really means to turn away. So let's say this is sin. Let's say this is my secret sin. To repent means turning, to, and God is over there. God is the opposite of sin, right? So to, to go to God, I have no choice but to turn away from that, right? Unless, you know, we're not like Elastigirl and Incredibles where we can have both. It doesn't work that way. The only way to turn is to turn to Jesus. And as I turn to Jesus, I'm turning away. And if you do that, um, in, in Acts 3.19, he says, repent and refreshing may come so that re- repentance, I'm sorry, repent so that refreshing may come from the Lord. And that thorn, those thorns, those blackberries can be pulled out of your life and no longer choke you and you can bear fruit. So those are the applications. Like I said, this is not a fundraising message. It's kind of a hard message, but I hope it'll be an encouraging message because this is to all of us. This isn't really even about camp. It's come real to me at camp. But this is for all of us because this is our destiny. This is how God created us. He created us to bear fruit. He created us to have grandkids. And there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing one of your kids with a lot of grandkids. So, I'm going to end with this. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. And you love us. God, I thank you that, God, I've been all four of these. God, I've been the guy that um, (laughs) truth goes in one ear out the other. And I've been the guy that wanted the cookie but didn't want the baker. And I, I, I did, and, I, and I was the rocky soil. And I've been the one that wanted you and also wanted my sin and got choked out. And then there's times where, where the soil has been good and you've been able to work through me. And so God, I know that's for all of us. You want that for all of us. I pray that every heart here, first and foremost, would have fertile soil. Lord, that the truths that you plant in us would bear great fruit. God, I pray for every person um, that does still have things in this world they're holding on to. I pray that you would give them the courage and the conviction to repent and to turn to you and that you would bear great fruit in their lives. And I pray for our kids at camp, so many kids who came to know you last week God, I pray that you would be with them right now, that you would protect them from the enemy as he tries to steal. And I pray that you would continue to protect them from the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of this world. I pray that you would protect them and that their their hearts would be soft and they would be able to receive you. And God, I pray, this is my prayer for every person in this room, that they would all have spiritual grandkids and just experience the abundance that you have for us. God, we love you so much. Thank you that you include us in your ministry.
Amen.